0: This is a song called the 1919 Influenza Blues, and as the title suggests, it is about the 1919 Spanish Flu Pandemic. So this is one of those songs that while it was first brought about in 1918, it became very popular in 1930s, but this particular recording of the song that I'm using right now was recorded in 2004. And the reason why, in my opinion, the song has such a huge lasting staying power is because it was actually a protest song with a more timeless message. One of the lines in this song says that the groans of the rich sure are sad. And it's obviously more of a complaint or maybe a sarcastic comment about class politics, about class privilege, more than it is A genuine expression of sadness over the inconveniences that the elite have to face.
1: According to medical historian Dr. Peter Hobbins, there are some striking parallels between 2020 and 1919. And that statement makes sense. In both situations, citizens were asked to abandon their normal lives in order to control the diseases spread. Lives were lost and those who survived were often left jobless. And even then, governments intentionally withheld information until
0: it was too late. Donald Trump is encouraging people to go out to support him. But in September of 1918, Woodrow Wilson held a huge parade that led to hundreds of deaths within days. Right now you have tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists saying that this is probably a biological weapon from China. But in 1918, the conspiracy theory was that it was a biological weapon from Germany instead. So, this is what's called the historical deja vu. And it's interesting that we call it the new normal, but it's not exactly new, isn't it? We're just repeating the same mistakes that we made more than a century ago.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Debatable with your host, Nina Kyle. So, it, it's been a while. And that's honestly because we planned on just recording again when everything would go back to normal. And I can physically be with Kyle and just share the mic. Because honestly, this whole thing with Zoom and recording separately is really difficult. But four months later, here we are. You sort of have to accept this is going to be life for a while. And this is our new normal. So we wanted to sort of talk about that. So how's your new
0: normal been, Kyle? Honestly, my new normal has been basically just doing work and I've never been this productive. Just kidding. It is me being miserable and trying to cope with it by trying to be productive but I can't really do that because my mind just isn't on right now, okay? It is more about the world is collapsing around me and I can't even be with my friends when it happens. that's 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 my normal Nina how about you? I'm also pretty miserable Uh, I've turned into a full-on hermit
1: I have deleted my Facebook I am barely on Twitter I am an introvert that has been put on 300% introvert because the only forced interactions I get to have which are usually debate and going out on dates with Kyle have been taken away from me and even when I tried with Kyle to debate online As much as I had fun, and it went pretty well, I would say, as a social experiment, it still wasn't enough for me to feel like I was reconnecting with the rest of the world. So now I'm at home. I am the adult of the house because my parents don't live with me. I have to take care of my little brother. I have to handle all the bills, talk to Sky Cable, talk to PLDT to upgrade our Wi-Fi, which they are doing, which is difficult for me to record this episode with, and my brother to have his schoolwork with, and basically, everything is falling apart. I don't know what to do. I've just sort of accepted that this is how things are, which is really bad, but I also have no choice. I I would say, though, that as much as we hate it, Kyle, we seem to be falling into a particular routine. So, we wake up, you do schoolwork, I play my Animal Crossing, we watch some One Piece together, then we talk about nonsense, we make hypothetical debate arguments together, and then we go to bed. And then the next day, we repeat the whole thing over and over again. But you know, that's the new normal, and I think as a concept, that's the correct place to start with. Because majority of people probably understand the new normal as getting on with your life with a new set of schedules and routines.
0: But what's the goal here? Like, I think it's okay to say that times are tough and that this kind of pandemic hasn't happened in at least a century. But I think the goal here really is that it will all end up feeling normal if you stick to the routine. Um. So as to why we have the routine to begin with, I think it's because independent of any outcome, like of what the routine is or what the routine will do to you, there's a comforting feeling in just having a routine in general.
1: Yeah, but if you look at it, to fall back to a routine can look like a lot of things for different people, right? A a routine for someone who's in a well-off situation could look like waking up at the proper time in order to bake bread with their own sourdough starter or something, But a routine for someone who is not in a good situation could look like having to climb up a mountain and having to climb up different trees just to look for internet and look for signal in order to submit the homework that they need in order to live a normal life and actually graduate.
0: Yeah. So I think that this brings to light a very interesting question. Since we do have a routine and it's comforting for us, but... Whose routine are we really protecting here? Because for a lot of people, they have to go out of their ways to do certain things. So I think the routines that we're protecting are actually for institutions. Like corporations want things to be back to normal. They want it to be back to business as usual. Schools want students to go back to regular programming. Uh, So basically, it's just a bunch of these different institutions wanting operations to go back to as close as exactly how things used to be. So, I think for individuals, the new normal might feel comforting, but it's not for them. They are participants. We are participants, Nina. But we're not necessarily beneficiaries of the new routine, of the new normal.
1: I think that's kind of debatable, though. Because, on the other hand, I think the new normal, even if it may not be for people, it it can be, right? If if people use it for self-preservation and mental preparation— So actually, like a Twitter research has conducted that there are four needs during the time of a pandemic. So the first would be accurate and reliable information. Second would be customer and service support. Third would be distraction and levity. And fourth would be community and positivity. So while the first two needs are controlled by the way governments act, the second two are often dealt with as a community um, and how pandemics are collectively faced. So data mining actually has found that a lot of tweets and posts about the new normal are often lighthearted. These are people who talk about what they do while they're at home. Like, I think one of the trending ones that used the new normal as a hashtag was this couple who ended up making picnic tables for the squirrels that they were finding in their yards. So in a way, the new normal seems to serve as a distraction. Um, And and in that sense, I think there could be a benefit. Yeah.
0: So I think that the phrase new normal can be a comforting term for a lot of people who have lost their old lives and uh, and are attempting to find simple joys and silver linings in the new versions of the lives that they're living. And I agree with you that this is probably how positivity could be reached to the kind of acceptance that leads to people looking forward to new things and opportunities. So it's basically the notion that you can accept things and then use them as a way to create meaning. And this is, this is positive nihilism, isn't it? Like, the world is pretty absurd right now, but you must imagine Sisyphus happy. So some would argue that this makes the term the new normal a good thing uh, because it manages to allow people to get themselves out of loops of despair, um, negative feedback loop of self-pity. Uh, this is a similar argument that a person could make if the, for example, if the debate is about Filipino resilience being used as a term, like, wow, they're very resilient. Um, and most people will be like, yeah, wow, very resilient. But a lot of think pieces go like, well, we shouldn't really be celebrating this because they are still victims of a system. So maybe an argument here is that, yeah, sure, even if they are victims of some system, they are still able to make some meaning out of their experiences because of terms like these or because of attitudes like these.
1: So besides providing silver linings and good vibes, you could also say that the term does a good job of conveying that change needs to happen. Because there obviously are things we won't be getting back for a while or ever, right? So we won't be having huge concerts again or random handshakes after a debate or crowd gatherings in general. To say things would go back to the way things were is obviously a lie at this point. And the new normal is probably the best form to convey this kind of change. It's a genuine expression of things being different and having to move forward after the pandemic itself, if we ever reach that point. So basically, this is very debatable, especially because it's very similar to the term Filipino resilience and how it works as a concept. So personally I I can see the value in both sides of the argument. I choose to be positive in this regard though, because I don't think I can take any more negativity in my life right now. I think I'm gonna die from my mental illness, if anything.
0: Yeah, so here's my bias though. I think it's more of the same hand washing by the people in power. Like, I already tweeted some of my thoughts about this. I said that the phrase, new normal, is basically just an excuse for all the failings that our government has had in trying to contain the virus. So the government goes like, yeah, well, people are dying. Yes, we are borrowing trillions with apparently nothing to show for it. There's a sauna that not everyone can watch because one of the largest networks in the Philippines got taken off the air. There's an anti-terror bill. That's very vague. People are getting unemployed, but oh well, it's the, it's the new normal. Shut up. Stay at home. Shut up. It's simple. It's normal. Shut up. It's the new normal. Stay at <laughs> yeah, home. So it, it, it gets worse
1: when you find out how the term the new normal was actually used historically. It was introduced by economists and policymakers following the 2007 to 2008 financial crisis. It was the term made in response to questions on whether or not the economy would go back to the way it did. Obviously, government officials and economists couldn't find a way to, so they just assured people that this new normal could be better, that we're going to go back to normal, but it's going to look a little bit different. So it was also because the term new gives an implicit promise of improvement, even if it, it's not the case. Um, the term was also used after the 2008-2012 to 2012 global recession. And it was also used by China since 2012 to distract people from the fact that their economic growth was declining. They were just saying, no, it's not the end of an era. It's the new normal. It's just that we're stabilizing and this is the new normal, they said.
0: Yeah, so those are my feelings about it. Like The popularity of the term is actually a strategy being used by those in power to win a blame game. And I, I have this entire reading about blame games. But basically, it's that blame games are important because people want to know why the situation gets as bad as it is, especially in crises. So they want to know who to hold accountable. So whenever there's a crisis, there's a blame game. And they're useful because it's supposed to A. Let us better diagnose the problem and B. Um, know how we can fix it and C. Make sure that it doesn't happen again. But if you look at how it's being packaged, it always seems like it's never the government's fault Like, it's actually yours. You are the one who's being makulet. Give the government more power. We'll fix it this time. Give us more money. We'll fix it this time. All I know is that it isn't the government's fault. Um, When it came here, it was an act of God. When it spread, it was either an act of God or an act of makulit citizens who want too much freedom. So if there is a blame game and you see this throughout history, usually what happens is the first thing that governments do or people in power, the first thing that they do is deny that there's even a crisis. And then after that, if there is a crisis and it's acknowledged by everyone, that's where they go into their blame-shifting strategies like... They're trying to say it's an act of God, which is what they did also when they said no one could have stopped this or something like that. And then instead of it being the fault of the system as a whole, it's a fault of people within the system, individual incompetent public officials. And then even after that, blame gets shifted even more to the single individual taxpayer. So it is a continuous shifting and shifting of blame until the government is just not in the picture at all yeah.
1: so besides being able to assign blame i think another benefit as to why institutions like using the term the new normal is because it's used to collectively lower expectations so even if there's no one to blame or the the blame is like in so many different areas at the very least you don't expect much anymore as people as citizens as people who have to deal with the crisis because one way it lowers expectations is because the government can basically do anything or nothing. Then they'll slap the new normal as a label for it. They'll call it the new normal. Like, here it is. You, we did our best. You just have to live with this because this is what normal is now. And because it's called normal, we can't do much to demand for more. Psychologically speaking, the term normal does a really good job at normalizing whatever the situation is. The other way that it lowers expectations is because we're just kind of going to be receptive to a lot of things because other countries also use the same term. And sadly, we don't always do a good job at looking at nuances. So if we use the term the new normal and other countries who are better off and have better policies and better government officials and better hospitals, they use the same term, we are easily fooled to believing everyone is on the same page Governments know this, and sadly, they use it to their advantage because if they use the new normal, it's an ability to hide from criticism and fool people.
0: If there's anything to take away from this episode, it's that terms can be very powerful as well as unavoidable. So realistically, I think that the buzzword, the new normal, will be staying for a while. And while you'll be seeing probably lots of content creators and media outlets using the term talking about it the same way that we did— I still think that people should be careful about looking into how the term is used and also why that term is the one that's being used. So I, I feel like it's very catchy actually, like new normal, yay, alliteration. But you also have to make distinctions with how we interpret it as well as be cautious with how others use the term because it might very well just be people in power trying to hide realities from you.
1: I think this just emphasizes how political language can be. And whenever these terms are thrown around, we should remember that there is always some implicit assumption being made. You can't separate how we use language from the context in which it's being used. So we aren't prescribing anything, really. We obviously have our own feelings about it. We just hope that this episode allowed you to see the many sides to the new normal and probably encourage you to look more into it, do more research. There's surprisingly a lot of information online as to how people use the new normal, how people use it to blame others. And like a lot of research on data mining on how Twitter is actually tracking the usage of the new normal. I, I I was pretty surprised actually when researching for this episode. So we we hope you make your own opinions about it. If you have any thoughts about it, you can always let us know because, you know, this, this, this is our life now, and we just gotta help each other cope with it one way or another. And maybe one day this will become a debate topic, so it's better to be prepared. Like the motion on Filipino resilience and stuff. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you for waiting for us to come back. It, it feels weird to be back. Uh, it doesn't feel normal, but, but it feels a little bit like before. And I guess that's the point that's all bye the air, and the groans of the rich sure was saying